It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. He is the most well-known beekeeper in Ireland and in fact getting there in the world now because he's president of Appamondia for the last two years of a four-year term, so two more to do. I'm delighted to welcome an old colleague of mine from Telecom Aircom and PNT, Philip McCabe, to the show. Phil, good to see you. You too, Jerry. Thanks very much for joining me. Well, you are, you know, you talk about busy bees. <laughs> I think you're the busiest bee I ever met in my life. What are you up to the minute? You're doing a lot of travelling, aren't you? Yeah, well, uh, in South Korea in September of 15, I was elected as president of the World Beekeepers. Now, the World Beekeepers, we have over 18 million beekeepers across the world. And um, most countries are registered with Apple Monday. Apple Monday, Jerry, to explain to people, it's a Latin word, which simply means bees of the world. That's the, so, you know, all the countries would want an organisation in their own language, but Latin covers everybody, which is how, where Apple Monday comes from. So at the moment, we're, uh, as I say, 18 million beekeepers, and they all think they know me personally, because <laughs> they're writing to me every day. <laughs> but it's a, it's a great organisation, because we do a lot of work. Now, in Ireland, it wouldn't be that terribly well known, because our beekeeping business is quite small. But honey and beekeeping industry across the world is a multi-million dollar business. Like last year we produced, or it is expected, or we reckon we produced 1,700,000 tonnes of honey across the world. That's, that's a lot of honey. That's a lot of honey. And that's been, a, lot, a lot of it moves from here and there. Now, and sadly at the moment, mixed up with that, there's some fake honey as well, which we get caught up with as well. You can, you can peep, some people take... What is fake honey? Well, people can take cane sugar. I even get emails about it. The companies write to me, they're not sure exactly who I am. So yet a company maybe in India, I've got one or two weeks in the past, where they wrote to me and said, they'll take cane sugar and they'll give it any colour, any flavour, any viscosity they want. It'll look like honey, it'll even taste like honey, but it won't be honey. That, that's just, there is not a lot, in Ireland it's not a big thing. It's, in fact, it's very small in Ireland. But in China and in the Romania and different parts of Europe I've been in, it is a big problem. It's a big problem indeed in Russia. So uh, countries like Turkey, for example, they have a problem with it as well. They export their top quality honey which is a kind of a, you know, they think the wrong way around. But when they're importing honey, a lot of it comes from China. Now, the Chinese honey, I'm afraid at the moment, is not great honey to be getting because it's not quality honey. It's, mm. There's a mixture of stuff in it. So there's fake stuff in there. Oh, is that what you're saying? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Now, honey in Ireland, by and large, it's, uh, the honey we have here is perfect. It's, mm. it's, uh, one of the benefits. And the, the honey packers in Ireland, mm. because we're so small, they're able to analyse what they buy. Mm. to ensure that it is honey because there is equipment now that can tell you exactly what flowers it came from. And Philip, can I ask you this? Is that Does that apply to commercial honey? Are you saying as yep. well commercial honey in Ireland? Absolutely. You stand over it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You couldn't, Even blended nanny. Yeah, it, it's honey because you see they couldn't, if it, it, we're so small, our food safety authority would test it 
and the packers have to test it because the packers will go out of business overnight if there's any fault in it. Yeah. So when the, when the packer brings in honey from any part of the world, the first thing they do is they get a shipload of honey and it'll be in 45 gallon steel drums, hard as the hubs of hell when they crystallise. So what they do is they do an analysis and they test the barrels and if it's not pure honey, they send it back. Mm. So they have the equipment out which says they'll actually tell you the flowers that it actually came from. Mm. which is the source, which is really important for us. So in Ireland, it's a very small. It's not mm. even a discussion in Ireland. But it's a major, recently I was in Romania. It's a big discussion there. It's a major mm. problem. The same in Serbia. Wouldn't it uh, be best, though, to go to your local beekeeper here Absolutely. in Ireland and get some of the local, your own honey, yeah. uh, locally produced honey? That's the ideal, the best of all. Come back to this whole thing of the fake honey and, and, and the plight of bees on this planet. Mm. You know... Are we facing a scenario with all of the neonicotoids, you yeah. know, the the environments and everything, mm-hmm. and the pl- the climate change? Where bees are in real danger. Well, now, I'll tell you, Jerry, when people ask me to explain, what are you talking about? When you talk about neonicotinides and chemicals, it's a question I get regularly. So I refer to the what's called the windscreen bug test. Now, that's a very good way to describe it. Well, what is that? Well, let's say 10 years ago, Jerry, if you and I were to drive from Dublin to Galway on a hot summer's day, you, you'll remember this as well. You're not that old. You're, you're a young fella. <laughs> you <know>? Thanks. <laughs> you'll remember that. Well, if you're driving across Ireland, when you get to Galway 10 years ago, you'd, the first job you'd have to do is wash your windscreen. That's right. Look at your radiator or your headlights. Well, you can drive around Ireland 10 times now and you'll never have to wash your car at all. There are no dead bugs. Not, it's not only really honeybees. It's not only honeybees. All the other insects are disappearing as well. So something is causing it. Now, that same applies in many countries. Uh, on Sunday, on what day is this? It's Monday. I forget where I am half the Monday. On, on Saturday, I was in Newcastle in England. And last weekend, I was in Bucharest in Romania. And in, in last Wednesday, I was in Germany, in Berlin, talking with the Minister for Agriculture. And the Minister for Agriculture for Germany, the man next two, two steps down from Angela Merkel, said to me, he says, how bad is the situation? It's really bad in Germany. And for, but for him to get an understanding, I explained the windscreen bug test. Yes. And then the penny dropped. It's the simplest thing. And I, for everybody listening today, should we know what you're saying? And you are right. I just, the that is are, gone. So it's just not bees. It's the whole, the whole ecosystem. In, correct. Bumblebees, even the wasps are down. But all other insects are the solitary bees. Bees, hoverflies, ladybirds, they're, they're, they're gone. There's a few of them rocking so around. So here's my question to you. You got to the ear of uh, high in the German government there. What about at home here? What about in other European countries and that? America, are people listening? Oh, they are. They're listening. You see, when I'm addressed, usually I'm not on the, car- the Christmas card list for a whole lot of companies at the moment. But Don't worry about that, <laughs> Philip. Because <laughs> I'm saying what it is. So when I, when I was in Serbia, I had the ministers from, Ser- from Serbia and Slovenia, agricultural ministers, that's who I normally meet. It's the agriculture, horticulture ministers you'll meet, also the environment. In Slovenia, you also get the prime ministers, you know, and in Turkey, you get the prime minister, him as well. I, I meet him, I've met him at times as well. But this, like, this is what who I'd be talking to. In Ireland, they don't even know who I am, which is a kind of, mm. a great, a kind of a, a ironic twist. But in other countries, Appamondia and the beekeeping industry is such a big industry. When I start telling them how things are bad and why they're so bad and what's causing them, they sit up and they take notice. And they actually are now looking at a whole new way of doing business over there in relation to the neonicotinoids, the chemicals. Because the Food Safety Authority, European Food Safety Authority, banned three of them here in the last That's number right. of years. The ban is still in place temporarily. Now, but the people are, in fact, in it, in, in the UK, they're, well, they're leaving the European Union but at the moment they're trying to get the ban lifted in the UK and it looks like the government are going to lift the ban on some of these things and this will be a major disaster for the beekeepers it'll be a major disaster for the honey industry for the honeybee and for the environment Context it again bees and mankind humanity Yeah well it's one third but a third and a half of the food we all eat is pollinated by insects and 70% of that is done by honeybees 
So that'll give you a scale. In America, uh, from the middle of January to the middle of March, 101.2 million beehives are acquired in California just to pollinate almonds. So there's, there's a whole industry there. Apples, kiwi, lots of the fruits that we eat, they're all, all there, need pollination, and they're disappearing. In fact, in some parts of the world, particularly in Indonesia uh, and the southern, southern Atlantic regions, the price of fruit is now going up because it's not there. It's, there's, there's, there's less fruit now available than there was, we'd say, a number of years ago. And they're trying to figure it out. In America, there's this thing called colony collapse disorder, where the beads collapse. Yes. Now, in actual, in actual in fact, my dad used to say to me when I was a young fella, will you, be a bee, will you be a beekeeper or a keeper of bees? And there's a subtle difference. The beekeeper understands the bees. The keeper of bees makes money out of the bees without really understanding what the bees is about. So if you, the beekeepers in America, and I know lots of them, lots of good friends, and they write to me and tell me what's going on. There's certain parts of America where certain crops are failing because there's no bees to pollinate them now. And in China, things are so bad at the moment with honey. They now are giving people pollen in jars at a paintbrush to paint the pollen onto the flowers, physically, one by one. You have to see this to believe it. But they have the population, and they have the people, they're glad to get the few pounds, whatever but it is. But they haven't the bees. They haven't the bees. But they're bringing in pollen from other countries, and then they're graining the pollen down to powder again, and they're painting onto the flowers with a little brush. But you know what you're telling me? I'm just really concerned. I had bees, as you know, myself sure. for a while, and I, I, they're just fascinating creatures, and what they do, the story of them is unbelievable. I'm really worried today. Oh, absolutely. People are, people are worried. And like when I met that minister in Germany, Mr. Smith, the Minister of Agriculture, like I had about a 10-minute talk with him, and he, he was totally amazed at what I was telling him. He, he didn't realise it was as bad. Now, I have to put in a little plug here for myself, Jerry. On the 23rd of June, we're having a, fo- a forum here in, in, in um, the Mind Valley Hotel with Prince Albert of Monaco. Prince Albert of Monaco is kind of an ambassador for biodiversity for us, and he's done fantastic work for us. And that sort of level, when we talk, when I talk to him and we talk in the European Parliament, and even Mairead McGuinness, our local MEP, was huge help to us in, in, in the Parliament in relation to the whole pollination thing. And, and more of our MEPs now are picking up on it, and they're talking about it, and it's getting a little bit more uh, attention than it was in the past. But then you have the chemical companies on the other side who don't want to hear us at all, because we're saying that you're, 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 that, that's that most recent heritage bill that's gone through there. It's a crazy thing altogether. All oh, the cutting of the ditches uh, and that. And the argument that was put up is for road safety. Like a, I, I give an example of a man who had 60 acres. Now, there was three uh, acres along the road had road frontage. But from the 1st of August, now he'll be able to cut everything down right over the whole 60 acres, never mind the front road. The front road, you, if there's danger to the front road and you're cutting hedges for safety, nobody has a no problem. No problem. Not at all. You even, I even have, while I have difficulty with it, I can understand a farmer removing a hedgerow to, to make his field bigger for agricultural use, which is understandable for the farmer's point of view. But when he cuts the hedges down to leave stumps, or like brush handles sticking up in the middle of the field, that there's nothing for birds or bees or insects of any kind, I can, can't get my head around the justification for that. Either let it grow up and we have some benefit to, to, to biodiversity, but removing it down to all you have these brush handles, as I call them, standing up and nothing on them. So there's start. nothing in them. Let me ask you before we head to a break. In terms of the chemical companies, they're a huge lobby. They have mm. the ear oh, of, of government. And they have money, of course. That was the next thing I was going to say. Is there um, nature-friendly sprays that can be used? Are there alternatives or is the alternative nothing? And because I'm sure the farming community are listening today and saying, Philip, what about the blight on the spuds? What about yeah. the rust on the crops? <laughs> All that has to be dealt with. Yeah, there, there, there are crops there, you see, but the, the, the economy of scale dictates that if somebody... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Get something to spray that is economical and as cheap and as fast and as efficient and it's going to save the farmer money the farmer's concerned about himself or herself. The bigger picture, they're not, in my opinion, and I'm not being disrespectful to them, they don't really see the bigger picture here. Now, some of them are beginning to see it. In fact, in fairness, to, to a lot of them begin to see it. And I have a lot of farming organisations, funny not in Ireland, but in other countries, I have farmer organisations coming to me and saying, listen, sit, can we sit down and talk to you? What can we do here? And then we sit down and we have a chat. I would rather talk to them and explain and get their feedback and give them my feedback. And it works that way. And they're looking at alternatives. And indeed, some of the chemical companies, to give them a bit of credit, now, not, not let them on, they say to us as well, look, is there anything else? We, what can we do here? Change. That's what I'm saying. Is there an alternative? There, well, there is. There are alternatives. But the trouble is they're not so cost effective. And they're not cost effective. Money. Correct. But my God, don't we have to support it in the short term for the future of uh, our... For our survival. Yes, for the survival of the species. There's something we were talking about. I might as well just mention it now while we were off, Mike, Philip. Bees, people have an impression you need a big garden, you need to live in the countryside. Tell them where there are hives. Well, the best honey, they say the best honey in the world comes from the rooftop hives of London City. Now, in New York, it was against the law to have bees up until 1991 in the city. But there were thousands upon thousands upon There was an Irish solution, an Irish problem over there. A lot of Irish fellows had bees, but you couldn't have them higher than the fifth story. It's any higher than that, the bees couldn't make it back up. It was too high. Yeah. But many houses now, many banks and many hotels now are putting bees in the roof. But across Europe, they, they, we think here in Ireland, but across Europe, for example, in Paris, in Luxembourg Gardens, there are 40 hives on the ground. And you walk past them. If you're walking through the Luxembourg area, you actually will walk past them. In London, it's the same. Like around the Chelsea area of London, it's a fantastic honey. But a lot of um, people have, you know, they have um, pigeons on the roof. Well, now they have bees on the roof. Bees on the roof. And you know, we were talking about what's happening in the agricultural centre and rural areas. But here you have urban areas with lots of shrubs and Ah. flowers and a mix of flora and fauna. It's great for bees, isn't it? And then the honey shows, you see, these honey shows that that beekeepers organise are fantastic because it tests the quality of the honey. People say they're a bit of a nuisance, but they're actually a brilliant idea because honey judges can judge honey and tell you exactly what it comes from. And they tell you the quality of it and how good it is for you. You see, one of the things about Ireland, Jerry, is what I, my, my dad, Lord rest the man, he, he used to make honey poultices a hundred years ago. Or close, the way I feel it's close to a hundred years ago. When I was a child, he was making honey poultices. Now, honey poultices, he was making a, a three-inch gauze. 
and he put a half a spoonful of honey in. This was on grease poop paper. These, this is before plastic days. So he had run out of gauze on top of a grease poop paper. And each three, three inch square, I'm sorry I'm not at the centimetres yet, Jerry, but three inch square. That's perfect. <laughs> three inch <laughs> square. Most of our listeners are with you. <laughs> three inch square of gauze. He put a half a spoonful of honey and it would crystallise, you see, into the gauze. Harden. And he'd more priest, he'd build up all that. But then my mother, she had ran the post office in Newbridge, and during the war and after the war, people had nothing. She used to hand out little bandages, and they'd say the hydrogen peroxide is in honey. This is not for external use. If you had bacteria or an infestation in your hand or knee or, any, or even an animal, you put on the bandage and you wrapped it up warm, and the heat of the blood liquefied the honey. And the hydrogen peroxide in the honey killed the bacteria in the wound. Human, and it killed all bacteria, good and bad. But it took out the pus that was in the old wounds. Now, the thing, you talk about that in Ireland now, that people look at you. Yeah. But in Eastern Europe, apitherapy is what we call it. It's another industry. I mean, I watched a person in in Russia, I was there a few months ago. A lady, now I, I was embarrassed because I didn't know she knew I was coming. I didn't know. But she knew I was coming. And she was lying on her sofa and the, the, the doctor had given her 14 bee stings in the bottom of her back for chronic back pain. And I said to her, through the interpreter, say, excuse me, said, I have to ask you. They were, I was slow to ask the question, but say, how good is this for you? She gets it every three weeks. I saw a lady in Brussels get 58 stings for MS. I physically actually sat and watched it being done. This is a world... Now, Charlie, if I was to give somebody a bee sting here, I'd probably win the high court. But you know what? You know what you're telling me? That the previous generations knew about did that, this here. They did we, that we all the it. time. They, they do we have changed here. Eastern European, the Arabic countries, the Arabic countries particularly, and the Eastern Soviet bloc countries, they do it all the time. South America still do it all the time. People go in and get stung. People with arthritis and rheumatism or joints, uh, the, the venom in bee, uh, bee venom generates the lubrication in the joints that we don't have. Now, that's what they say. I'm not recommending it to anybody, Jerry. <laughs> I'm not telling anybody to go out and get it done. But you've seen this, and you know what I you're talking about. You're talking about other benefits of bees and the honey as sure. well, as well as the goodness of consuming it. Mm. You mentioned your dad there. You're third generation yeah, beekeeper, right? My, my grandfather um, got his first three CDB hives in 1896. Now, at that time, we were controlled in Ireland by the British government. And there was a grant for there was a grant for people. But my dad got three hives <coughs> on the grant. And he was a very poor beekeeper. He wasn't any good at all. But he got the bees. But my father was born the same year, 1896. But about 1908, my dad told me, I interviewed my father one time on a carousel tape and a whole, whole lot of stuff. But 1908 in the village of Newbridge in County Manor, where I came from, he said every second or third house had two to three beehives. Now, the funny thing about it, Jerry, and I, I mentioned it in another programme, where most of the people who had bees were from either Church of Ireland or the Presbyterian community. The Roman Catholic community didn't so much have as many bees as the others. There was just, it, was just, just, it was a statistic a useless piece of information, but nevertheless, mm. they had more belief in it. Mm. So there's so many people had these here, and they produced lovely section honey. Now, when I was a child growing up with my dad, I was from about four or five or six years of age, I can remember standing beside him as he worked the hives on our barn loft, beside three pigeonholes in the wall. Now, pigeonholes, Jerry, to explain to the people, not initiated, is red bricks in a diamond shape on a wall, and there's a hole through the bricks. They're called pigeon, probably for pigeon loft. Mm. But where hives were behind each one of those. And we produced the most fantastic section only, but we never wore bee suits. I never had a bee suit at all as a child, and neither did he. But the trouble is, the barn loft was so dark. As soon as you looked at it off, the, there was a half door on the other side of the wall, and the bees would fly out to the light and up over the roof and back in again. So we had no bees in our face where we were. Working. And he, he had a flash lamp. Now, there was more light on the white of your eye, Jerry, than there was on this <laughs> flash lamp. He, while he, it did the trick. did the trick. He could check his queens. He could do everything on that hive in there. But that's where I started. 
I went after that watching him and I learned from him he got his B Master Certificate from the Reverend J.G. Diggs in 1926 Diggs was the most famous beekeeper I suppose Ireland ever produced he wrote many books about it a fantastic book Practical Beekeeping but uh, my dad got his B Master in 1926 and that's some gone back some that was the same year he got the post office in Newbridge the first four telephones went in all that carry on there's a whole history yes. there as well yes. <laughs> different world but, 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 but you come from that time and then did you in your lifetime did you come back to bees with you, you, know, I, I you, you I, up till I was about tw- up 19 or 20 when I was in Newbridge I was working the bees with him and then as, as, the, as our family grew at home he, the, he had to get rid of the bees because my mother she'd hang clothes out in the line and the bees of course would destroy the clothes of the new sheets and there was a big problem that way but he then got rid of them for a while I went to work and things got so I came, when I came back to Drogheda then I said if I move out of the country which as soon as I did I got the hives again I started all over again mm. and I started but I studied it from a scientific point of view as well not only from the apitherapy side but also on to understand the honeybees and see how important they were to us so I did that as well so I'm at it ever since and that was a full time job <laughs> taking <laughs> me all over the place Isn't it just amazing though you know the way life opens up and things that you know are deep in your family history yeah. you know come to the fore again for you yeah. uh, Question from a listener here what are the best flowers and shrubs for bees to plant in my garden? I'd love to help, says a listener. Okay. Well, if, if, if any, any of the seed suppliers, and in that place you can actually buy a packet of seeds, what they call biodiversity seeds for bees. I've seen them in a few places. They basically bring them. You, sh- you have to leave a little bit of headland or a bit of place for. Sk- if you have a nice tidy lawn, these, this doesn't work. The place has to be a wilderness. So shake out whatever bees you have. But flowers like Cotone Aster, they, they, that's one of the great ones at the moment. At the moment, yesterday I was down in Wicklow. I was coming back giving a talk, and there was bees on heather. I watched them collecting the nectar from the heather, and I just thought it was absolutely beautiful. Mm. Like, so you, there's lots of there's lots of flowers. Cotone Aster is the one that jumped to me. That jumps to your mind. Say, say away. But you can get these Fuchsia, collections of, of seeds. Oh, you, you can get, go you get in and buy of, these yeah. specifically for bees. And what you're saying is, a piece of rough ground, spread the seed, let them take off by uh, themselves, yeah. rather than structured borders or yeah, things ju- like ju- that. Just as, uh, but I remember Maureen McGuinness showed me a planted ground. She planted an RD of a whole area of biodiversity. And she said, it's a beekeeper's paradise what you had and other insects as well it's a beautiful place all and the they'll come the bees will find oh, it won't they, they? that's so. the they thing will, about it three mile radius they'll find them they'll hone in on it as yep, well absolutely. somebody else wants to know will you ask Philip where does he sell his honey how can I get honey from him or from local producers yeah well any local beekeepers around the area at all. a bit of honey I have is usually in on green on because that's my headquarters whatever bit I have over but at the moment I have a lot of friends yeah, <laughs> that come and consume it fairly cheap. a yeah. big family looking for, bee, looking for honey yeah. but on green on the honey is where I sell my honey but then you have other Owen McGill Cody you have lots of other beekeepers as well who have tr- like Landlear honey brilliant honey local honey uh, any of those you talk you see them in the different uh, farm shops and garden shops if you see local honey you're guaranteed a good so product. it's local honey that's what Philip is saying there if it's from a local producer Landlair definitely with Owen yeah. and I think that's in uh, Stockwell Artisan yes, and places yes, like that you'd pick yeah, up yeah, as honey there yeah, as well yeah. uh, so it's widely available right. so besides you know your travels you're meeting these international beekeepers of course back home to Ireland where you belong and where you started here are you confident that you can get the message, just to finish off, across to our own people to say, this little green island that we love to talk about, off the everybody else in Europe, can we become a haven again for bees? We can, of course. But the thing about it is we need to just take stock of where we are at the moment. And it's convincing the farming community as to what they're spraying. Whatever they're spraying, just ask them. Now, you have a big fields uh, for, yeah, at the moment, oilseed rape has just come into bloom. So there's a huge honey crop from oilseed rape. So anybody with a couple of hives would pick up. An oilseed rape in 10 days, you get £25 of honey per box, per super, as we call it, per box honey, uh, for 10 days if you have good weather in oilseed rape. Like, so it's a huge 
So player so Aussie rape is good for honey. Oh, absolutely, and good and for but, but nectar and pollen. Nectar yes. and pollen. So that's a positive aspect of growing that yeah. with farmers. And on the other hand, as you say, there's alternatives. Absolutely. Anywhere you see, any, but the hedgerows, keeping the hedgerows alive, letting them grow up, and getting the wildflowers to grow again is what we need. Just last thing, uh, the prince is coming when again? Twenty third of June. To Drogheda for the special conference. We'll be talking before that. Philip McCabe, for the moment, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Jerry. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.